Welcome to Back to My Garden. Discover your passion for gardening. Here's Dave Ledoux. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world when you listen to this. I'm Dave Ledoux, and welcome to another episode of Back to My Garden. We're going to the west coast of the United States today, folks. Kirsten loves growing veggies, starting seeds, and cooking with fresh, delicious ingredients from her garden. She's a talented designer and loves the connection between her satisfied clients and their brand new landscapes. She's a certified professional horticulturalist and a master garden master gardener uh, living east of Seattle in the foothills of the Cascades. We have a ton to talk about. Please welcome to the show, Miss Kirsten Lintz. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. I'm glad that you're here. I gave you a brief introduction. I want to hear your stories, and our listeners want to get to know you better. Uh, take a minute or two and relax and share with us a little bit about your background and how did you discover gardening? Great first question, and I'll take a deep breath and dive in here. Um, so I was born in the area that I'm living now, and I live in Duval, Washington. And uh, part of my upbringing was uh, planting carrots and having those amazing childhood memories of, uh, you know, the seed packet on the stick at the end of the row. It was just something that my family did. Uh, I loved playing outside. I loved swinging from the cedar branches, um, watching the chicks, uh, chicks run around the yard, um, trying to hatch chicks in an incubator, you know, from the egg, uh, and then some of them not hatching, which was even a stronger memory. Um, but then uh, my family moved to eastern Washington, and my dad took over uh, the family wheat farm. And so I gardened there as well, and it was just something that we did. Uh, lived on a farm back in the day when, and I'm not that old, back in the day when it wasn't so cool to live on a farm. And now uh, back to the soil, and my kids think it's very cool to talk about the vegetables and things that were growing out in the yard. Very good. Now, listeners, Kirsten and I are going to sit back, relax, and talk about gardening for the next 25 minutes. I'll take all the notes for you, and I'll have them up on the blog at backtomygarden.com. You can uh, get a free newsletter, gardening newsletter, at Kirsten's site, uh, www.gardensalivedesign.com. How often does your free newsletter come out? It's about once a month, and I don't tie myself to that because sometimes in the summer we're on vacation, and it's a little bit loose about when I get that out, but I try to do about once a month. I was looking over your blog today. It's really well done. Uh, I know it's very client-focused. How did you get into landscape design? Was that something you always dreamt of doing or something later in life? Well, interestingly enough, it did start with vegetables. Uh, we, uh, after college, my husband and I uh, went straight into the Peace Corps, and we were down in the Kingdom of Tonga, and then came home and had children, and I wasn't uh, able to return back to work because my values were to be a mom, a uh, stay-at-home mom, and I wasn't able to be a high school science teacher. So uh, we had a pretty limited income after finishing graduate school going into Peace Corps and volunteering, and then buying our place. And one of the one of the simple things and inexpensive things that I could do to improve our, um, our home and uh, where we chose to live was to buy 
seed packets because, you know, buck 34 for a seed packet, I could grow lots of flowers from that and lots of vegetables to, uh, to feed our family. And that was a very inexpensive start. So that's how I started uh, improving the landscape with flowers and uh, the, the vegetable garden. Very good. Help me with my geography. Now, you're east of Seattle, and you call it the foothills. I always would imagine that it would rain all the time. I know it's not the correct image, but I always think of Seattle as getting 200 days of rain a year or something. What's it like where you are for growing, for climate? So you kind of have to either love it or leave it as far as the rain goes. And I and my family, we don't mind it. Uh, uh, it does rain a lot. And there's, you know, a bit of mud outside. But you have to learn the tactics to kind of combat that. My whole family, we have waterproof pants that we put on. Uh, we have fabulous rubber boots that are insulated and warm, uh, Gore-Tex coats. And we go out, uh, you know, rain or shine and work outside, um, hike outside, and uh, yeah, we don't, we, it's just the tactics that help you uh, to survive with all the rain, and, and being outside is a, is a great way to get outside and get some sunlight, even if it's a kind of a cloudy day, you get, you get a little more sun rays through the clouds that way. Oh, wow, so I was right, it does rain, and the reason I ask, because you couldn't turn on the television last year without them talking about that brutal drought. But you never got any of that drought. Uh, we don't. We're not as concerned about it. This year might be something different because we are at an extremely low snowpack currently in the mountains, and uh, you know it's hard for us that ski. And then everybody's thinking, you know, but what about our water uh, sources for um, for the summer? We're we're quite concerned right now. You don't have enough snow. Just say the word. I'll send it over. <laughs> I have... <laughs> yes, I, I do need a trip your direction. <laughs> we just returned two days ago from Niagara Falls. And the week we were there, the falls froze. Mm. And it only happens like every 50 years or because it was like 35 below with the wind. And uh, so many tourists come to see the frozen Niagara Falls and they park on the side jump out of their car, run over to the edge, take a selfie, and then jump back in their car. It was funny to watch. Yeah, yeah. I bet it was beautiful, though. I bet it was absolutely stunning. Yeah, everything's covered in ice. And uh, where I am, I'm right on that uh, edge of Lake Erie. And so we're kind of like Zone 5B, but we get lake effect snow and uh, uh, really wet summers and then really dry summers. And it makes it interesting in the garden uh, I'm kind of rough on tomatoes. I water them too much. Mm. Do you grow tomatoes? I grow everything that's that's going to do well here. And tomatoes, yes, I have, a, I think, six or so that I'm looking at starting this year. Mm. Describe for listeners, because we we're in 62 countries listening to this. So they don't get what you get for climate. What is your garden like this year? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, so for everybody out there that's in all of those different locations, you have to learn what does well in your specific area. And we have such a limited amount of time, and a lot of garden spaces are pretty small. You know, do that research that tells you exactly what is most pest and disease resistant for your area, 
and what I'm growing isn't going to be, you know, specific to everybody else, but I I do have some favorites. Could I share them? Oh, please. Yeah. Uh, people love to eavesdrop on guests' gardens. So for those in the Pacific Northwest or a very closely related climate, um, I have some that are new to me and some that I've searched out that I didn't know if the seeds were still being produced um, and some that will always be in my garden. And one of them is celery. Celery uh, knocks your socks off when you taste it from the garden. Have you done that? I have not grown celery, no, because it takes two years, doesn't it? And I'm impatient. Uh, so I start mine, uh, you know, January, February timeline. I just got my seeds started inside and it, it's the flavor. I'm sure it's an echoing theme in your podcast that it's the flavor from the homegrown vegetables or fruits that you produce that is something that you can't find even when you buy at a farmer's market, uh, you buy organically from the grocery store. It's your little microclimate and possibly uh, the special minerals that are at your site, even if you work on mineralizing your soil. It's like a wine. The wines taste different from every uh, different place, and you can actually taste the soil, the minerals in the soil. And that's true of, of at least my homegrown vegetables. Uh, it's something that it, it's just amazing to taste that flavor. And so celery is, is one of the things that I that I just can't do without, and it doesn't take two years. It does take one year, though, and sometimes it even overwinters here. So I can harvest celery from January, February time frame if it's the right type of winter, and to bring in that flavor in the middle of winter is just beyond crazy. Another one is this new red, beautiful mustard. So my vegetable garden is um, purposeful and delicious, but also... Um, you know, some pretty elements in there that are like, wow, I'm totally drawn to the look of what this plant is. This red giant mustard has these purple, purple uh, leaves with a green vein, and it tastes like horseradish. And all I think about when I go out and taste that is maybe I could make, um, put it in a stir fry or uh, a little bit in a salad, but I think of a steak sandwich. And I just, my mouth is watering right now with this um, beautiful red mustard. Uh, another one that this is a seed that I had two years ago and last year I could not find the seed anywhere and I was bound to um, find it this year it's a Bordeaux red stem spinach and the only creator of it is John if I'm saying the last name right uh, Sheepers Kitchen Garden Seeds and the flavor of this spinach was again um, you just put it in your mouth and it explodes. It's it's so memorable. I remembered the name. I was telling everybody that I came across about the Bordeaux red stem spinach and uh, looked for it. I missed it last year in my garden. And now it's like an old friend that's come back to visit. And I'm so excited to, to eat it out in the garden. And another one that's related is, um, and this one, this is a, a red fire orch. Uh, French spinach, and this is actually made by our local Ed Hume Seeds. And this one didn't have a great germination rate, probably just me, but each leaf, when I put it in my mouth, uh, it was like it melted. It was just the softest, uh, uh, most beautifully um, flavorful in a very, very soft and tender way, just a tender, tender spinach. And the last one, if I could keep going here with one more, is the really fun flouch flashy trout back uh, lettuce from Renee's garden. 
And again, um, kids love to look at this spotted lettuce that, again, you just can't stop eating it. The flavors in this are just are too fun. Whoa. You're a dream guest because I love... You could Google all day and not find this stuff. Okay, so flashy trout back lettuce from Renee's Garden. Bordeaux red stem spinach from Don Sheeper's Kitchen Garden Seeds. Red spire French spinach. Uh, Red spire orch. O-R-C-H. French spinach. Okay, and where was that from? That's an Ed Hume. Okay. Then the red giant mustard. That tastes like horseradish. That's from Botanical Interests. Nice. Uh, Listeners, don't worry about taking notes with your thumbs when you're driving. I'm going to have links up on the blog to all of these. Can I give you one, Kirsten? I'd love one. Okay. It's called Malabar Spinach, and it's from Baker Creek, which is rareseeds.com. Yep, I know Baker Creek well. They're one of my collector's catalogs. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the leaves of the spinach grew as big as my head, mm. and they're, we're still giving us uh, edible spinach in late August, which everything bolts where we live, so it was really durable. I hope you have that one on your blog, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me write that down, actually. Now, you're a cook, right? That's why you're pulling, you know, all these flavors together as you love to use it practically. Absolutely. And uh, the one thing that is a little bit challenging for me is at the end of my work day, I love to go out and have some time in the garden. But generally, uh, I feel like our vegetable garden is a grazing garden. I feel like we go out there, the kids are having playdates, the kids eat from the garden, they're giving taste tests to their friends. I take my friends out there, we walk and see what's happening and snip off broccoli, cauliflower, um, and everybody's just tasting out in the garden. Um, and one challenge is actually harvesting at the end of the day, washing it, chopping it, and preparing a meal. It, it really has to be um, a, more of a family affair. I feel like having my kids and husband out there helping me to do that chore uh, makes the meal preparation a little bit better. Or if there's something absolutely flavorful that I'm that I'm wanting to prepare with herbs, uh, something that is absolutely ready to pick and harvest, then I can find the energy to, to get that going in the kitchen. Hmm. I was going to ask you about that. Is you're all busy in all, all your clients' gardens? Uh, is there any time left over for your own? But you have help. Yep, everybody pitches in around here, and, uh, you know, you've got to find joy in it, and you've got to inspire the kiddos to, to be part of it, um, and it's just a natural draw. The garden is just a place that is like a little magnet when you're hungry. <laughs> I'm really intrigued with the mustard that you said tastes like horseradish. I'm going to look that one up. I'm, I'm, in, I'm getting into hot foods more and more every year. Mm-hmm. And horseradish. I, I, uh, I saw a store on the weekend, and he had a horseradish that he had combined with a ghost pepper. Okay. And so it was 20 times hotter than normal horseradish was. And I said, hmm, i got to get me some of that. Yeah, and, and again, it's that, that 
we're seeking out something in our gardens and we need to listen to that and, uh, you know, feed ourselves with that and find enjoyment. I mean, you're having a great time with your spicy peppers and uh, everybody's really unique in that. And, you know, just really listen to what your body's craving. And uh, when it's in season, you know, the garden can be uh, produce over amounts. And so then you can start to share with your friends, of course. But I think that it's really important to follow your interests. You shared these wonderful vegetables you're growing that taste great. I want to flip it on you. Did anything refuse to grow last year or frustrated you, or did you have any kind of pests or issues in the garden? Yeah, you know, uh, last year was a busy season in the spring for me, and uh, every year, so this is a little tip that I can pass along, every year I save all of my seed packets, and I go down to our copy and print place uh, here in Duval, and I ask them to use one of their really big staplers to staple, staple my packets of seeds together. And when I was starting my seeds just actually this Sunday, I noticed I was looking back through last year's seeds, and I had been wondering why I didn't have a great Brussels sprout harvest this last year. And I looked at my seed packet, and I said, oh, my goodness, last year I started them in April not February or January when I'm supposed to. No wonder I didn't have my Christmas Brussels sprout harvest. And um, so so starting on time is a, a bit of a challenge. And uh, I think that there's a misnomer also with starting on time. Some things like celery, peppers, Brussels sprout, you need to start super duper early. But know as a vegetable gardener, that there are successive harvests. I hear people telling me all the time, you know, it's May or June, and I didn't get a chance to plant my vegetable garden. I'm out of luck till next year, and I just want to offer them hope that you can have successive plantings. Spring is not the only time to start your vegetable garden. There are great summer and fall varieties for our area, too. Outstanding. I'm getting writer's cramp. <laughs> I'm taking Sorry. too many notes. That's good. That's good. Uh, listeners, make sure you connect with Kirsten. Actually, on if you're on Twitter, uh, tweet or follow social media at Gardens Alive DES. It's just the shortened form of uh, the website at www.gardensalivedesign.com. Do you have any advice? For somebody getting into gardening who has a small backyard, um, where's do you have some tips or do you see some common mistakes when people are working with smaller intimate spaces? I do, and it usually has to do with um, you know that that piece again that people have a limited amount of time, they have a limited amount of space, and they just go down to that seed rack and they pick anything off of it. And again, there are varieties that do great in our area. And actually, the Master Gardeners of King County have a list of seeds that have been tested to be, you know, the the peas that don't get the powdery mildew and, uh, uh, you know, the tomatoes that don't get the black spot or get are less prone to it, depending on your conditions. Uh, So I would ask that people be successful with their vegetable gardens and, and if they can, Ask for my advice on on great varieties, or use the Master Gardener's uh, fact sheets that are online, and and use your time wisely. 
make your vegetable garden produce for you. Try not to gamble on things that are, I have, you know, about 80% are tried and true on my vegetable list and about 20% are new varieties that I want to take a little bit of space for. But I want to pump my vegetable garden for all it's worth and get my most out of my time and also my space. So people that um, need assistance, you know, seek it out and, and make your garden successful. Awesome tips. You know, Kirsten, I glanced at the clock and our time is flying by. And now's the time in the show where we play a game called Five Quick Questions. This is your chance to share your wisdom and experience with novice beginner gardeners. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. And just a heads up, uh, the questions have been changed for 2015, so stay on your toes. Okay. Question one. Uh, What's the funniest or most embarrassing mistake that you've ever made in the garden that you're willing to admit to in public? That's that's an easy one because uh, the first year we developed our vegetable garden here in Duval, uh, I'd been away since I was uh, four years old from the area, or actually seven, seven years old, and had come back and I had this impression of our area from living in eastern Washington, that it rained all the time in the Seattle area. And, it, you know, it was kind of a, a bad news scenario. And I thought when I was planting my vegetable garden that I didn't have to water it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, no, it's always wet here. The soil's wet. It rains all the time. And uh, as a mistake, I didn't water my corn. And my corn got to be about... Uh, you know, six inches high, and my brother uh, came over, and he had a good laugh about that. And um, from then on, uh, he says that I was making miniature corn, you know, the kind that you buy for in the can um, for that first year. <laughs> uh, let me make this question 1B. Did you smuggle any plants back from Tonga? Not because, uh, because I think that's probably illegal, but (laughs) I did uh, smuggle back the love of large-leafed tropicals. So I have a a bay in my garage that is pretty much filled with things that won't overwinter outside, and the car is outside in the wintertime. And uh, also, you know, large-leaf perennials that look tropical that are perfect for our climate here uh, that just blow your socks off, like you were walking through the jungles of Tonga and coming across leaves that are, you know, four foot by four foot, uh, just fields of this that we're growing as a, as a food crop. I love it. We're kindred yeah. spirits. <laughs> My garage Fun. is filled with overwintering plants. Yep. Uh, question two. If you were only allowed to grow one plant for just personal reasons, what plant would you have to grow? So from start to finish, this one uh, is something that's indispensable from every single step along the way. I actually bought two seed packets. I don't know what I was thinking of this one, but I did I did already start one packet of, of this seed. It's um, the large-leafed basil, and when we have those little seedlings come up with those two bubbly green and extremely aromatic leaves, it's like our lives change here. We look at the leaves, we smell the leaves, 
Um, we can hardly wait to harvest them. Some of them we actually harvest a little early. If there's little extras out there, we nibble on them. But then in the garden, they produce and produce if you, if you uh, take off the seed heads. Um, and basil from the garden is like nothing ever else. And uh, you, I can't get enough. You freeze it. You have it through the winter. You make pesto. You make all sorts of things. And I have an entire seed pack going to be growing. I don't know how many plants that is, but I do need a bigger vegetable garden now. When you were building it up before you said basil, I was afraid you were going to say zucchini and you had planted 100 zucchinis. <laughs> <laughs> they would run you out of town. You know, you'd have too many. Yes, um, yes, I agree. Question number three uh, is about websites, The using the internet as a gardener for a resource. I want everyone listening to visit Kirsten at www.gardensalivedesign.com and subscribe for her free gardening newsletter. Do you have one or two favorite gardening websites that you could share? So uh, at this point, I use the Internet as sort of a, um, a scanner for information. If I have a question, I look up things because research changes all the time and and I like to double check myself like all the time on, on just different topics. So I, I have some favorites, but it's more like I'm always just looking for new new tips and advice. Um, but I do like the idea of, and I don't think I have her last name pronounced correctly here, but it's Nikki Jabour, uh, the year-round gardener. I actually would love to start some of her techniques and know that I could be successful with winter gardening here. Two thumbs up, yeah. She's dynamite. And then, um, you know, another one is I just love our local paper, the Seattle Times, and there's two authors there. Val Easton writes sometimes about design, sometimes about uh, vegetables, different topics that come up. She's fabulous. But then our local um, uh, garden celebrity, Gardening with Cisco, he is spot on, and he brings up some topics that are still new to me. So I just love reading their articles. And then one other thing that I refer to a lot in my sort of scanning and quest to recheck my information is the territorial planting chart. And this year I'm thinking of uh, using more of the temperature of the soil for correct planting dates rather than a moon cycle. I'm going to use a little bit of that, but I'm also going to use the calendar approach of when it's suggested to plant. So I use that territorial planting chart. It's pretty darn handy uh, in conjunction um, with a, a master gardener handout that's called Starting Seeds Indoors and Out. And again, they have more of a calendar approach to when to start stuff. But those fact sheets, they're research-based, they're pretty bomb-proof for our area, and they're just great to have handy. Nice. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Good, good. Uh, question four is, do you have a favorite gardening book? I do. I have Three. And again, I, I'm not much of a reader. I'm much more, you know, just kind of a, a flip through some pages when I can. Um, and one is it's really not a gardening book or a vegetable book, but it's one that I will a lot in my backpacking uh, adventures with our family. And, you know, the weight of a backpack is a really big deal when you're backpacking, but I take this book uh, whenever I can. It is The Plants of the Pacific Northwest Coast by Pojar and McKinnon. And in there, it's great pictures. Uh, it's where you find it. 
but it's also the Native American uses of the plants. And my kids and I just have fun uh, looking at plants along the trail and learning of their original uses. There might be even some cooking things that my kids and I want, might want to, you know, learn how to nibble on something when we're on the trail. Um, so it's a, it's a really fun book. Another one is uh, Gardening Month by Month in Washington and Oregon by uh, Marion Bonetti and Allison Beck. Again, just a fun flip through uh, just to see if I'm kind of on track or what should be happening. Just some um, tips and uh, advice for what to do. Another one is Anne Lovejoy, The Year in Bloom. And this is really nice for looking at your garden through all of the year. This has to do a little bit more with landscapes. But a lot of us go out and we uh, grab plants from the nurseries in the spring and come May, June, July and into the fall, our gardens decrease in color and interest because we buy things from the nurseries when they're in bloom and they don't bloom close through the summer or the fall. So I've also created a garden calendar in which I write the dates that things bloom and then I also uh, draw a little picture of it and I write the name of it. Uh, so I know when I have a bloom pause in my landscape, and I can fill that in. Oh, that's an awesome tip. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Gardeners have short memories and long pencils. You have to keep good notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but just a little bit at a time. You know, that whole garden calendar, you could just take a picture even, uh, a, a monthly picture of what's happening in your garden, and then you have a digital copy, and just do a little bit at a time. This has been, you know, definitely 14 years here at our place that I've been recording the types of seeds that do well. Uh, after those, you know, those years of research, I come across a recommended seed list from the Master Gardeners that's identical to what I'm growing. I, I learned by trial and error but I also wasted 10 years doing trial and error, uh, stuck with it, and um, to come to find out there's somebody that had done that work before me. So, so, you know, just really find those resources out there. And finally, question five is, is there anything you've never personally grown that you would love a chance to experiment with? Not really. Anything that isn't in our area because I'm in landscape. I see landscape plants all the time. Um, you know, we, we have five acres here, so I could keep planting and planting um, forever. But it's more uh, the plants that I've started from seeds, maybe when the kids were really little, that um, I want to grow again for the kids and maybe just for me. One of them is bunny tails grass. And I remember as... Um, when the kids were little, they loved to pick them and pet them because it, it felt like a bunny tail and you just, you know, stroke your fingers across this really soft grass and it's just a really therapeutic, beautiful grass to grow. Um, but then for my daughter, I would stick them in her ponytails and <laughs> have them, it was so cute, she'd be running around with the bunny tails grass bobbing along in the yard and um, just just great memories. Another one uh, that I love to grow, and I, I pretty much grow this one every year, but I'm looking forward to seeing it, is amaranth. And there's wonderful colors. They're kooky, crazy plants. And there's this one called fat spike, and then the normal one is a really long, skinny one. Uh, you know, we're just playing out in the yard, and I made puppets out of these plants. And I was making them talk to each other by bouncing them around. My kids were rolling in the grass, laughing so hard because I'd done something kind of unconventional with the plants. And 
um, I look forward to those memories with my kids every year. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, dear listeners, we're coming to another episode finale. I hope you took good notes. And if you didn't, come check out all the links and resources that Kirsten shared at backtomygarden.com. Please follow her on social media on Twitter at GardensAliveDES and come and join the free newsletter at www.GardensAliveDesign.com. Lots of resources. Reach out to Kirsten. Uh, You've been a tremendous guest. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. There are listeners all over the world hearing us chat about gardening. I want to invite you to have the last word to them today. Can you leave us with a pearl of wisdom or a note of encouragement? Absolutely. I would um, have to say in life, uh, dream big, but work really, really hard to get there. Tremendous. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me.